And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your week is going good. Can't believe it's the weekend. Here it is. I hope you have great plans this weekend and a chance to relax and get refreshed and get outside, get some fresh air. It's all good. We're going to have an interesting hour coming up. Dr. Gregory Jantz is going to be joining me. He's a psychologist in the, he's in the Colorado area. I'm not quite sure, but he specializes in helping people that suffer with anxiety. In particular, he's been doing some work with people who have a, a sense of kind of doom and anxiety about the 2020 presidential election, of which there's a lot of response on that. And then Dr. Rebecca Ree, who's a Hebrew scholar, she's going to be joining me in as well. And that is going to be a great half hour of some fabulous storytelling. We'll take a 60-second break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be introducing you to Dr. Gregory Jans. He's a licensed mental health counselor and he's a believer with a doctorate in counseling psychology and can address the very real anxiety and stress that uh, many American Christians are experiencing uh, due to this 2020 political season. I know that's kind of crazy, but I know a lot of people have got divisiveness going on in their life with uh, friends, with loved ones, with people on social media. And the whole idea of the election is causing a fair amount of stress. So he's going to help sort that out with us today. Dr. Jans, welcome to the show. Oh, good to be with you. And it is. It's kind of a stressful time. Um, I think it's uh, way more stressful than anyone's letting on. I think, you know, we have a lot of emotional energy for this uh, coming uh, up presidential election. And it is uh, it is stressful. Well, here's two things that are happening. People are already anxious. We've kind of got an anxiety blowing through our culture because there's a sense right now that something feels out of control. And so with the closer elections, primaries, there's a sense that, oh, this is feeling out of control. What What's happening? So there's, there's that sense we have happening right now. So uh, are there – is this – an imaginary sort of issue or is there like real physical symptoms and manifestations that are coming out of this, this stress? Well, you know, we've been treating uh, anxiety and depression. This is our 36th year. And I'm going to tell you a little trend that we see. We're a facility where people come to, to stay to get help. We're finding um, that anxiety now is at the top of the list for people seeking help. And so some of the things that we're seeing with anxiety and depression is I'm seeing more physical symptoms like people are not sleeping. Rest doesn't seem restful. Mm. Uh, we're finding uh, people are being stretched, even I would say in their faith. They're going, wow, um, is, is, is God in control? Uh, the other thing that I think I'm seeing is uh, physical symptoms, sweaty palms. People are noticing that, you know, maybe digestively, headaches, aches and pains. Their bodies, those that are seeking help with us, their bodies are stressed out and anxious, and it's affecting all their systems. You know, Dr. Jantz, isn't uh, sleep the foundation of good health? And if that starts to unravel, then all bets are off? Sleep is, and I've, I spent a couple of years working in sleep research as it relates to mental health issues. And I can tell you, we probably have a sleep epidemic going on uh, 
more than ever before. We have our youth, particularly we've got some ages about 12 to 17 years old. We're seeing sleep deprivation. Wow. Kids are sleeping. They're sleeping with their phones in bed. Their screen time is exceeding eight hours a day. Their brains are overstimulated. And so we are seeing this. Yes. So when we are um, processing information constantly and we don't let up, we take iPads to bed and phones, computers, and we're starting to consume more and more information. It certainly is a different time uh, when you would see the 10 o'clock news and go to bed. But first you'd watch, you know, a late night show just to get a few laughs before you went to bed. Bill, Bill, people aren't laughing now, are they? No, no. They're so. going to they're going to bed, and uh, <laughs> you know, as intense as intense as the the news is, and there's always the next interview, and it's always it's got gotcha. you. Right. Um, people are going to bed. I'm going to use the word worried. You know, it used to be ah, I'm a little concerned, but people are going to bed worried, and they're not falling asleep in a peaceful state. Hmm. Now, I know you address all kinds of things in your book, Healing Depression for Life, and Dr. Jantz has uh, given us uh, a lot of uh, emotions that he talks about in this book, and there's some deadly ones out there, and is it safe to say that it's unresolved anger, guilt, and fear? That's oh, those right? are, I, yeah, I call those the three deadly emotions, mm-hmm. anger, fear, and guilt. Now, anger could be I've been really hurt, I've been traumatized. So anger comes in different forms. Uh, but if I don't learn how to deal with hurt and anger in my life, I'm, I'm probably going to end up with a lot of resentment, a lot of unforgiveness, and it's going to affect every area of my life, my relationships, my career, my future, if I feel loved or lovable. So uh, that anger and hurt is a huge one that we have to look at as it relates back to depression. Uh, I'm going to say fear. We live in an age of fear and anxiety. And, you know, fear can start off with worry. I'm worry is a mental process. I'm worried. What if this happens? What if this happens? And, you know, you're worried. Uh, do I have enough money? Uh, who's going to be who's going to be our president? You know, you start to worry. But worry when we dwell and the scriptures teach us this when we dwell upon worry, it'll transform it into something deeper. And that's anxiety. You know, you have anxiety if you start to get physical symptoms. Mm hmm. And there is about 70 percent, according to Pew Research, uh, that of Americans identify as Christians. So obviously Christians are feeling anxious, too. And I know because we're uh, referring a little bit to the presidential uh, election coming up with Super Tuesday just around the corner, there is going to be a number of probably some of the most five of the most religious states in the U.S. will be voting. Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Arkansas, North Carolina. There's a high percentage of believers in those states and yet yet there's still uh, a lot of stress a lot of anxiety there is and it's it's we're back to the the unknowns we are back to the what ifs and i think what makes it a little more intense this round is certain things feel out of control a person may see oh candidate what what what's happening you know it feels out of control <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, and so there's been surprises that for some, and, and let's just acknowledge it, can, can create a lot of stress. Um, because I think that the 
problem is we are dwelling on the unknown. We're dwelling on the negative. We're dwelling on the what if. You know, let's also interject the power of prayer. Yes. Let's interject the power the power of of really are we gonna let God be in control and are we gonna are we gonna really pray and have pray for wisdom? And the other thing is how well are we taking care of ourselves? Uh, how's our own self care? Am I letting all this affect my sleep, my nutrition, my well-being? How well am I taking care of myself? So those are some things we need to look at. Yeah. And when we think about uh, things like the election, obviously we're concerned about uh, the economy, finances. And then also you can put this into the equation that this uh, new coronavirus is, could be creeping well into the U.S. And then how does that affect us? And we're starting to worry about stuff what we have any control over. I'm so glad you mentioned the virus because what can happen is it's another layer of out of control because, you know, it's like every day in the news, uh-oh, this thing is growing. So we have multiple layers. We've got the political situation. We've got the coronavirus that feels out of control. Uh, we could also say, whoa, what's happening in the stock market? That feels out of control. So there's different layers of this that can just pull you down a speedy river. Yeah. <laughs> so if we find ourselves drifting into anxiety and depression, and of course that spirals into eating disorders and all kinds of other health-related issues, doesn't it? Oh, it sure can. Absolutely. So um, I want to talk about, you know, maybe creating an action step to try to get us on a better path. Yeah. You know, one of the action steps that I'm going to say, let's build the faith foundation. Let's go back to uh, the truths of God's Word. And maybe we need to select two or three very simple, and I'm going to say short, uh, verses that we could use um, maybe the old-fashioned way. Write them on a three-by-five card and carry them in your pocket and three or four times a day. Remind yourself of God's truth. Because when we're in the middle of what feels like a, a storm that you can't see the future, um, where's our anchor? So I'm just saying anchoring ourselves in, in the truth of God's Word. That's one that's going to be important. Mm -hmm. Also, how am, I, how am I really taking care of myself? Um, a lot of times people will t turn to, uh, if they feel anxious, uh, impulsive or compulsive behavior, uh, alcohol, um, spending money, um, getting lost in the social media world. You just, you're, you're doing things that end up uh, not bringing peace. So let's look at that. That's such a good point. And, yeah. Yeah. Please say more. Well, as we, we want to also look at the third area that comes to my mind is during this time of uncertainty, what are we doing to, to serve others in any regard? Um, you know, one time when you feel so anxious and you're so what I'll call self-absorbed with your kind of the, our own issues – um, that's a good indication. You know what? I need to find something to do. Some maybe it's a, something for somebody else. Maybe it's in my neighborhood. Maybe it's volunteering. But how can I show God's love during this time and be of a service to somebody else? By the way, when we serve others, it, it does adjust that anxiety barometer. Mm -hmm. There's something about uh, gratitude and giving to others with our time that can change something for us. So 
I, I, I put that out there because it can be so important. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Jantz, I would love for you to talk about the importance of community because I know when you start to feel the blues and they're coming on for maybe several weeks at a time and the next thing you know, Saturday rolls around and, and you don't shower and you don't go out and you stay home and you find yourself stringing a number of days like that together and then all of a sudden, uh-oh, you got problems. Yes, one of the things that we write about in the book, Healing Depression for Life, is this whole um, idea of not to do this in isolation. It's so easy. You get stressed out, anxious, and depressed. And we tend to isolate. And as human beings, and we tend to isolate, we start to cut off those things that socially in our life that were probably pretty important. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, if we isolate, um, our anxiety goes up. Our depression symptoms will go up when you isolate. I understand you don't want to be with somebody else. But we also tend then to do escapism behaviors. What's that look like? Maybe I overeat. Maybe I don't get go out of my house. Um, but I start to do things that ultimately are self-destructive. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll take a little break. Dr. Gregory Jantz is my guest. His book is called Healing Depression for Life. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Gregory Jantz on the program. He's written a book called Healing Depression for Life. What a joyous title that is. If you suffer from depression and you need some help, this would be a good place to go. He's a licensed medical health counselor, and he is a believer with a doctorate in counseling psychology. And uh, right before the, the break, Dr. Jantz, we were talking about self-care. And I would love for you to maybe make a difference between how you do self-care well without being self-absorbed. Yes, and that's self-care doesn't mean self-absorption, which means I'm all consumed with myself and my own issues. Self-care leaves room for gratitude. Self-care leaves room for giving to others. Self-care leaves room to be of service. Self-care also means I'm, I may not be doing my very best right now, but I'm going to do those things that keep me renewed. I'm going to do the basics. I'm going to drink water. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, um, we, you know, we've been treating depression for 36 years, and we work with people from all over the country. Almost universally, people who get depressed stop drinking water. Wow. Or it's really minimal. And it's just an observation. Water improves mood, gives us energy. Water is so important. And so we always look at, you know, we look at nutrition. We look at, okay, um, you know, let's get the water intake back up. Um, Something that simple. But, you know, when you're stressed out and depressed, you stop doing some of the good things. So I, I, I want you to go back to that. I want you to go outside. If it's all you can do is muster up a 20-minute a walk two or three times a week, I want you to have movement. Um, I want want you to begin to uh, look at what is going in your mouth. Some people escape through alcohol. Some some drink 20 cups of coffee a day. You know, what is it you're doing? Yeah, don't go that knock could... on that. Don't go knock on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You know, I'm from Seattle. you got to drink okay, a little yeah. bit of coffee. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the law okay. out there. Uh, yep, you know it. Yeah. As we look at this, 
um, I do believe, and I just want to say there is hope. And I see people, and we work with folks who, you know, this depression's been 20 years or longer, and it just seems like no matter what uh, you do, and maybe you've tried everything you know to try, this is where the importance of having a team and praying for wisdom um, because there's always a missing piece to the puzzle or pieces to your puzzle. And I just want to say, because I see lives change, there is hope. Is it possible that it's just kind of how you were wired? And let's just say your your normal default position or personality is a little bit melancholy or a little bit depressed. Uh, if, what are the, you can know, that I be think, normal for you? And yeah. can you break out of that pattern? I think we can really learn to be that way. What does that look like? Well, maybe we grew up in a home environment that just seemed to always have a cloud over it. Maybe we grew up with maybe a parent or parents who were uh, anxious and there was always worry and you never really felt a real sense of peace. So as time went along, that's just kind of how you learned to be. It was more learned. It was what you grew up with. And we're not going back and pointing blame and be, becoming angry. It was it was what it was. It was perhaps the environment growing up. But guess what? We can change that. Can it take a little while? Oh, yes, it can. Is it worth changing? Yes. So, you know, sometimes our thinking really has to change. We've got, Lord God, help me change my thinking. Our behaviors have to change. Our worldview may have to change. And our faith probably has to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Jantz, there's that old um, adage where you've got a cleaning lady with a dirty house or you've got a dentist that has kids that have cavities. Uh, You're a mental health counselor and you talk about something in your own life where things kind of unraveled. Is that something you'd be willing to share with the listeners? You know, uh, it was in, it was years ago, but I remember it well. I really had the helper's disease. Okay. What's that? I said yes. I said yes to everything. <laughs> You're a kind like, man. Hey, you know, and I really had good intentions, but my schedule grew from being way overflowing, you know, and then you do six days a week, and I'm embarrassed to say sometimes it was seven days a week, mm-hmm. and I was, I was not living uh, what I was preaching. It's subtle and it's sneaky, and then, you know, I'm not doing well. And I'm not in a good place to be of help to others because I'm, I'm not doing the things that keep a person healthy. I, and I moved over into depression and anxiety. And I, you know, I thought, wow, I can hardly wait to get home to have my, have my half gallon of ice cream, you know, right. like everybody else is doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it is, because you start, you start to not take care of yourself. And I, I wasn't doing well and I was gaining, you know, a lot of weight and, and I did, was not reflective of health and all those things that I, you know, used to do to take care of myself, I no longer was doing. And I do know for me, I thought, hey, I've missed my callings. Uh, I'm, I'm in the wrong field. Um, but it really was family members who loved me, who threw me a life preserver and said, you have to change some things. So I kind of had an intervention done on me. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? This was actually um, 1989. So it's been some years. Yeah, yeah. But I do I do remember um, it took energy just to breathe. I remember that apathy. I remember not wanting to get up because I didn't have the energy and I had no hope for the day. And I know I don't ever want to go back. 
And I also know I want to do everything I can to help others, you know, and that's why we do the work we do at a, at a place of hope, because I believe there is that hope. Sometimes we need a team to help us and find what, what, what are all the missing pieces of the puzzle. You know, for me, I even had forgiveness. I had a whole, whole number of things I needed to address so that I could be healthy again. Mm-hmm. And you always talk about um, body, mind, and soul. They always have to, um, it's, a, it's a package deal, isn't it? it yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I want to circle back to sort of how we started because we, we're still, uh, there's a lot, still a lot of people that have got issues with the election coming up. They've got uh, strained relationships. Is there any advice you can, or wisdom counsel you could give to people who are just at sort of um, odds with their loved ones and their friends when it comes to just dealing with the stress <laughs> of the election? Yeah. So, um, it's it's like we don't want to avoid the topic. It's in front of us. Um, but be careful because, see, politics can move you over into sides. I'm either on this side or this other side, and I'm then I'm either debating. And then once that happens, I can create interpersonal conflict. And that interpersonal conflict is um, not going to bring us together. And so allow – it's okay – Allow another person to have their opinions. Keep the I love you so much is the <laughs> message you want to give that I'm not going to let politics or other things be a wedge um, in our lives together. So that's not where we want to make the point of focus. Um, and if you cannot have conversations with a family member around this, you know what? I don't think you need to. I think it's better. Let's avoid it. Yeah, it's such good wisdom, uh, Dr. Jansen. and I appreciate um, you giving us uh, some great things to think about as we are now getting closer and closer to the presidential election. And it is a place of stress for a lot of people. They're admitting to it. They're losing sleep. They're reading. They're debating. They're spending too much time on social media and their phones and not uh, doing other things like connecting in community and talking to people and laughing and uh, enjoying a good well-rounded life. So I appreciate your input very much. Okay, you got it. Good to be with you today. Thank you so much. Dr. Gregory Jantz has been my guest. His book is Healing Depression for Life. We'll take a short break and be right back. I'm always glad to be welcoming back to the program Dr. Rebecca Ree. She is an author and blogger, and she is a Hebrew scholar. So who doesn't want to talk to that uh, person with all those credentials? And she's back, uh, again, sharing some incredibly insightful uh, stories from her blog. You can see her at RebeccaRee.net. Rebecca, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. It's quite the, the privilege and the joy. And I'm glad you, you've recovered from your, your illness. There's a lot of people that have had that crud, and you got, yes. a, you got a big dose of it, didn't you? I did for almost four weeks. So, yeah, yeah again, I'm, I'm upright and walking around, so that's good. Yeah. Well, um, your blog, once again, outstanding, and I always want to encourage listeners to head over there and subscribe to the blog. They just come right to your email box. But let's talk about asparagus. <laughs> asparagus yeah the theme for what we're going to be talking about today is quite botanical about all things growing <laughs> so um i wanted to talk about what happens when we get 
stuck in a place of discouragement or we feel like we're praying and praying and praying about something and nothing's happening and we're starting to you know feel that bitterness and anger creeping in and we're kind of tempted to stop praying because we think well, I'm wasting my time there's really no one out there I'm trying to navigate my way through life and I'm basically on my own so it's just sort of this um like like almost like there's this impenetrable uh, uh, block between you and heaven. Nothing's going, you know, either way. You can't hear anything. And then I sort of wondered what it would be like to challenge that idea, to sort of flip it on its head and wonder whether, what if there's a divine voice that's speaking to us all the time, but it uses like these small back channels and it, and it speaks in unguarded moments. So um, it might be trying to address the most pressing needs of our hearts, but um, not in ways that we expect. What would it be like if we started to train ourselves to attend to that sort of back channel, unguarded moment voice uh, more often? And what kinds of things might God may already be using that we're not hearing? So, you know, in line with that idea, um, I'm making dinner. I was said on the blog that uh, we go through an awful lot of fresh produce in our house. And I was preparing a bunch of asparagus. I'm washing some asparagus. And I look down and I see that one of the asparagus spears has a little baby asparagus growing out from the bottom of the stalk. And it was such sort of like an uh, organic connection that all of a sudden it made me think about the mothers and the babies that you see when you watch nature shows like mm-hmm. orangutans and where the infant is literally hanging off of its mother and the mother is nourishing and protecting that infant. And I mean, who doesn't like to see that, right? <laughs> On the yeah. surface, I'm thinking, oh, isn't that cute? I'm looking at the asparagus in my hand. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, something very deep within my heart just leapt up seemingly out of nowhere. And I found myself thinking the words, I want that so bad, Mm. so bad. And I had to ask myself, what exactly was that feeling that was leaping out of my heart in that moment? Because I think it's really important to pay attention when we have a strong response to something that we can't quite explain. And this is one of those unguarded moments. Here I am, you know, chopping produce. Well, you know, you don't really expect God to speak through that, right? So I I think it has something to do with longing for an inherent connection to someone or something that was going to, like, instinctively, unfailingly take care of me like a mother in the wild. Because when you when you see those programs, you have no doubt that, you know, unless the mother's killed or captured, there's no way she's not going to protect and take care of that baby with all of her strength. Mm-hmm. And there's something in us that wants to know that we belong to something greater than ourselves that regards us in the very same way. In fact, as a Hebrew scholar, I've been getting to, you know, ponder the idea that maybe that's what being made in the image of God is all about. It's that inherent belongingness to him, that we belong to him on a, in a way and on a scale that nothing else in creation does. I mean, maybe that's one of the aspects of what that means. So I started to ask myself if even for five minutes, that sense could like shoot through me, shoot through my body, shoot through my mind, shoot through my heart. How would it change me? 
you know, what, what would I be like if I just understood that um, even for five minutes? Because most of the days, I think I walk around feeling like there are very few limits to the evils that the world can do to me. Mm-hmm. I think most days I think there's so many, I mean, if you're, if you're half awake and your eyes are open, you can see there are all sorts of dark spiritual forces at work in the world. And it seems like they just run, you know, they run amok and they have access to me. And if you've ever suffered any kind of event or chapter in your life where you didn't get the production you needed, that leaves an impression on you forever. Um, And then you sort of have this um, echo of the distress that you were in. And it's almost like a secret uneasiness that like you carry with you everywhere into every scenario, no matter what you may confess on the outside as a believer. So it's funny because you may have this really serious echo of, I'm not protected and I don't belong. And God may be actually trying to address that profound wound with things like asparagus spears. (laughs) I mean, he may be like using all kinds of things that like pass through your hands. Um, And again, in moments where you're not necessarily consciously pursuing those, those um, needs, to speak to them. And maybe it's the sheer volume of him talking all the time through nature and through these things in your life that he chooses to address the deepest needs of your heart. So it's just a, it's just an idea to ponder. Um, because I think God was using that, that piece of produce the other day to show me not only that he knows what the most pressing needs of my heart are, but that he is going to address them step by step. And I want to say to everyone that's listening out there, you know, the same is true for you. Pay attention what comes up in those unguarded moments. You know, they may carry an answer to the very things that you are despairing the most about. Um, And if I may, I'd like to say one more thing about the asparagus. Oh, please. Um, Which is, what does that, what is one of the things? I think that sense of belongingness gives us many things. But what is one sense, what is one thing that that sense of belongingness gives you? And I would say this, it makes you brave. It gives you courage. It's going to lead you to go out and do things in the world that you may have never attempted on your own because you know that you're connected to someone who loves you, who accompanies you all the time and is calling you into good things. Um, I just think it, it just, it affects you in ways you don't even know going forward. I, I believe the reason I went into Hebrew Bible was because um, I looked at the Jewish community and that sense of the chosen feeling so like we belong to God. This text is ours and we are, we are it and we are, we are this community and, they, and we inherently belong to God. And that attracted me so much. Um, and I, I went into college as a pre-med student. I thought I was going to be a doctor. So you never know um, where pursuing these and paying attention to the things that God may be saying to you on a small scale, where they may be leading you in the larger picture of your life. Rebecca, I think that's such a smart point, and you've done such a nice job of of leading us into this uh, idea, because the question for me is, does God more often work in obvious ways or non-obvious ways? Mm-hmm. And my, my my thought would be, he probably works more in non-obvious ways. 
but we have to be paying attention. Yes. Well, the answer is yes. I think I think he speaks in a, a multitude of voices and a multitude of ways. We just exactly we have to be paying attention, and, and that's the good news is that's a skill we can learn. We're not, you know, that's like some people get it and some people don't. You know, it's not like one of those uh, gifts that some people get. No, I think everybody can learn to pay attention. The, the key is to start really small. And Rebecca, when you said, what if God is trying to address something with you? Uh, that was such a, that just jumped off the page for me because uh, that is something that I don't want to miss. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do not want to miss that one. Well, you know, one time he said some, I, I believe he spoke something to my heart that really, you know, made me stop in my tracks. And I was praying about my son and I've shared before my son has autism and his needs are very great. And I was going through my laundry list of praying for things. And at one point God stopped me short and he said, you know, when you pray for your son, don't act like you're more involved in these things than I am. And I was like, oh, I pray like, like I know more and I'm paying attention to these things. And I got to somehow snap my fingers and get him to like respond. Mm. <laughs> it was certainly one of those moments. Uh, yeah, that, so. that is a great point. And I love in your blog, you t- say today was the question that kept circling my brain. You know, what kind of limits does God observe regarding me? And is there ever a point where he goes, okay, that's it. She's had enough. I'm going to step in. And I think that's uh, a lot of our cry when we cry out for help. That's exactly what we want. We want yeah. him to say, look, at, I'll step in and take over. And we want it to be obvious that he has. Yeah. And, and the good news is that there is that down the line. But the fact is he's probably already stepping in in ways that you don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's so comforting. So comforting to remember. All right, Rebecca, let me take a little break. Rebecca Rhea is my guest you can go to her blog at RebeccaRee.net. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A. And then her last name is R-H-E-E, RebeccaRee.net. We'll take a little break. Be right back. back to the show. So glad to be talking to Rebecca Reed, Dr. Rebecca Reed. It's so nice to uh, have you back on the show. And as I go to your blog and I want to talk about the bulb, we're going to stay in this theme of uh, things that grow today. Yep. So um, the other day I was in the grocery store and, you know, some days you just push that cart around and you get things done. And other days you don't have quite the energy and you're pushing that cart with a little less oomph, right? And it was one of those days and I was passing the uh, floral department not really paying much attention to anything, and something caught my eye, which was they had a display of these clear vases, and inside each vase was a bulb, kind of like, almost looked like a, a turnip, like a round turnip, and it was growing inside the glass vase, and it clearly showed the root, and then on, on the bottom in the water, suspended underwater, and then there was a green growth of stalks shooting out the top of the vase. So I don't know if you can get a visual of what I'm saying. So roots on the bottom that you could clearly see through the clear vase in water, and then the, gr- the green was growing up out of the vase. And I stopped and looked at that because I thought, that is showing me something about myself, but I'm not really quite sure 
yet what it is. Let me think about that. And it reminded me eventually that every, every living thing, including you and me, has roots that determine who and what we are. And those roots need tending to. We often don't see those roots or come in contact because they're submerged, but they are affecting us and we need to sort of tend to them um, in order to thrive as human beings. So I went to the Bible to see what we, we can talk about. There's all kinds of things about roots. Um, and there's one story in the Hebrew Bible that, that focuses on our roots as human beings. And it takes place during King Hezekiah's reign. And King Hezekiah was a, a pretty much a God-fearing uh, monarch. And Isaiah the prophet was ser- serving under him at the time. And Israel gets invaded by the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria is a powerful, powerful figure. And he's been invading countries left and right and just dominating everywhere he goes. And he shows up at Israel's doorstep and he sends forth his spokesperson, who um, the name in, in the Aramaic is Rabshakeh. And so that even sounds intimidated, the Rabshakeh. <laughs> and he comes to um, basically threaten and cajole the people into opening the gates and surrendering without a fight. Um, and he basically, the this, this spokesperson says, you know, your God can't save you. Uh, look at everyone that we've defeated before you. And if you surrender now, we'll, we'll, we'll spare you all the horrific brutalities that we have imposed upon everyone else before you. And the clever thing that this guy does is he speaks in the language of the common people. So everybody that's lined up along the law, uh, the wall protecting this um, King Hezekiah city can hear in plain language what the dignitary is saying to um, the, the rulers of Israel. Because usually the, the, they spoke in their own language and the common people couldn't understand. But in this case, he wants everybody to get what he's saying. He wants the popular vote, so to speak, in terms of let's surrender. So understandably, King Hezekiah and his ministers like totally freak out because in a sense, they've been uprooted from their their ground, and their roots are now exposed, and they've got very little time to decide what they're going to do about this, this imminent danger that's at their doorstep. But they don't freak out so much that they forget, hey, we've got a core prophet. Let's approach him and see what he says. So the unauthorized uh, Rebecca translation of what he says is, trust me i got this god is saying don't listen to all that drivel i got this you are protected i'm going to protect you and bring you through this and um the more elegant uh version of what that message comes down to is in one verse there which um i'm going to read to you it says And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. So let me read that again. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. So it's kind of like that plant that I saw at the grocery store. The roots are going down and the the growth is on top. Meaning, you know, you may be under siege now and this may look very, very intimidating. But in fact, you're survivors, you're going to survive this. And one day 
um, you're going to even thrive. You're going to plant your fields. You're going to have harvest. Life is going to return to normal. So don't listen to that voice of fear and intimidation. So I read this story and I thought, the question for us all is, who or what is your king of Assyria? Mm. Where or why do you feel threatened? You know, what's trying to pull you away from God and surrender to some short-term solution that you don't even know is going to pan out? I mean, what if the people of Israel had said, okay, you know, we surrender, and they'd come to out and been brutalized anyway? Uh, you know, what's, what's pulling you away from God, and what is threatening you right now? <clears throat> or to put it another way, if someone, someone were to pull you up from your life and expose your roots, what has you freaking out? Um, and so I contemplated that for myself and it kind of boiled down to like a title. It's, my title was the what if, you know, of my life. It was, you know, I worry, what if my autistic son's speech never improves, you know, enough for him to navigate his way more successfully through life? What if he never catches up to his peers enough um, you know, what if my own, I have some health issues and I was like, what if my health issues don't resolve the way that I want them to, or what if my writing goes nowhere? Uh, what hap what if something bad happens to the ones that I love and depend upon for my own sense of, you know, security and, and belongingness? Um, I'm sure that every single person listening to this broadcast has their own list of what ifs that are very real and very pressing and very long. So I don't want to make light of that. You know, what has you freaking out? What are your what ifs? Um, but we all have them. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what do we do when that foreign, foreign invader is at our gates and, you know, our roots are exposed and all those what ifs are like in our face and we have to cope with them? Um, and I realized we have to do more than just freak out. We have to retain enough common sense and hold on to that mustard seed of faith and say, I'm going to go seek out my local Isaiah for a higher perspective. Uh, I'm not going to just try to figure this out on my own or just do something to medicate it away or pretend it's not happening. I need a higher perspective. And in my own life, that's always involved other people. I can never figure out that higher perspective on my own because I'm not in a place where I can hear anything clearly. I am too freaked out. So those closest to me who know me best and have the wisdom and the knowledge I need, those are the people I want to talk to. And, you know, you don't want to just choose anybody because you don't want just any voice speaking into that turmoil that you may be experiencing. You want trust, tried, true, and trusted people um, that you can speak to friends, ministers, mentors, doctors, you know, you, you know who's in your circle, the ones that tight circle around you, those are the ones you want to share with. And not to mention there's texts you should be reading, like the Bible, you should be reading other books that build your faith and give you perspective. So, you know, there are things to do. There are, there are ways that we, like Hezekiah, can go seek out the court prophets. Um, and if you would allow me, I'd like to leave you with another picture of one more thing that we can do when we're being uprooted during a crisis and we need help. Okay. Um, 
um, when I was in my 30s, I think I was about 34 years old, um, I decided all of a sudden that I wanted to learn to ride a bike. Now, I was raised on a tropical island, I mostly mostly um, the island of Puerto Rico, and we lived on a condo in the, in next to the beach. So I never really, I learned to swim very early, but I never really learned to buy, ride a bike because there was all sand. There wasn't really a place to ride a bike. So um I never learned to ride a bike as a child. And, you know, it's one of those things like learning languages. I think it's much easier for a small child to learn to ride a bike than to try to uh, make make that transition as an adult. So my instincts were all wrong. Um, you know, my, my husband kept trying to explain to me, if you pedal faster, you're actually safer because you are more stable. Whereas I wanted to go slowly because I didn't under, I didn't have the in, built-in instincts and I wanted to um, control things. So um, it was kind of a mess, and I was thinking, you know, scraped knees, I'm 34 years old, this is going to be so attractive, and I don't know <laughs> if I can do this. <laughs> it's just a big mess. Um, so my husband, God bless his heart, he wasn't going to give up so soon on me. We were, tr- we were doing this in front of a church parking lot, and he, he just kept saying to me over and over, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. He must have called out that phrase a hundred times during the hour or hour and a half that we worked on this. And, you know, after a little while, you know, his words really did counter my instincts. And I started to believe him. It's not just because he was repeating it so much to me. And I started to actually gain some balance and pedal and pedal. And lo and behold, I wasn't going to win any awards, but I was um, more or less riding a bike. Um, And so I want to say that, phrase is a good one to to say to yourself when you're in that position of, um, you know, king of Assyria at your door and your roots exposed. If you're overwhelmed, keep pedaling. If you're bitter and angry, keep pedaling. If you're out of answers, if you're out of resources, keep pedaling. And you know what you're going to notice? that you're not alone. You're going to look to your right and your left, and you're going to see that we're right alongside you. We've also, you know, got our handlebars in a death grip, and we're, like, looking at that space in front of us, and we are pedaling our best, and we're all doing this together. And it may not feel like it, but as we pedal and pedal, God is growing those roots down in the dirt so that the fruit can prosper up on top. So, my answer, you know, just keep pedaling and see what comes to pass, but don't give up. We're, we're all along there right beside you. Rebecca, you're such a uh, great thinker and such a great communicator. I just uh, love having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, well, thank you for having me back. Yeah. Uh, we will have you on again soon. Well, it would be my pleasure and okay. my joy. Good deal. Dr. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. Her website is RebeccaRee.net. You can go uh, subscribe to her blog and the blog she just talked about on this program, uh, you can read and pass on to a friend. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, just I love you, and I, I love that you support and listen to Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life.